0: If you have been with us for the last few months, you know that we are in the book of John. In the book of John, we, it's a series called, called Belief. Uh, we we've come to the, the latter part of the book. Pastor Rick last week mentioned that the first 12 chapters, the first 12 chapters really were, uh, talk about his first three years of ministry, Jesus' first three years of ministry, John records in one through twelve, and from thirteen all the way down to twenty-one, he's going to take he's going to take that chunk of uh, space to talk about just the last eighteen hours before his death, his death and his resurrection. And so you can, you can imagine what John sees is the most powerful part of Jesus's ministry. And so today we are in chapter 14. In chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn with us. Um, if you don't, there is a Bible right, right somewhere in front of you on, a, on one of the seat um, pockets there. Um, At this point in the story, just to lay a little bit of context as to where we are. So Jesus has been on his ministry for about three years, and now he's coming. He knows that his time on earth is about to be up. And so he and his disciples, they make this entry, and it's the Bible calls it a triumphal entry. It's this entry into Jerusalem. There He's riding on a donkey's back, and there are people screaming and shouting, Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. is just an incredible scene. And then last week, Pastor Rick mentioned they were at the Passover dinner. So at the Passover dinner, uh, Jesus comes in and he does something that none of his people, none of his disciples had expected. Right before the meal, he bends down, ties a rope around, uh, uh, a towel around his waist, and he goes forward to wash their feet. Now, this is something that's unheard of. It's, a rabbi would not do something like that, especially for his own students. I mean, it would be expected that a student might do that. But here's Jesus turning around the status quo. And here's Jesus setting a new, a new normal. And he says, love people. Love, you will be known as my disciples because of how you love. And he's giving them a new normal to, on how they should live. And then we come to our story. At this point, Jesus is about to have the, meal, the Passover meal with his disciples, and he makes this dramatic statement. He says, one of you tonight will betray me. And the disciples, they're aghast. Every one of them, except for the one who would, they're looking at each other, trying to figure this out. Everyone's distraught. They're thinking, this is a man that we followed for the last few years. How could anyone do this? And we, we read the story, and we see Judas fleeing the scene. He leaves the Passover dinner. And right after that, if that wasn't, in, if that wasn't jarring enough, Jesus makes another proclamation to his disciples, and, this is, and we read this. We'll, we'll take a little bit from John chapter 13 before we get into our chapter. In John chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, Jesus says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now, this is, the son of, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Pay attention to this. This is what he says. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So not only is he telling his disciples, one of you will betray me. Now he's telling them that the time has come. My time with you is almost done. And you can imagine, these are disciples who left their careers, who left whatever they were doing, who left their families. They have been following this man. They've been through the ups. They've been through the downs. They've seen Jesus uh, uh, run out of towns. They've seen Jesus feed the thousands. They've been through it all. And all of a sudden, what they counted as their support system. As a matter of fact, some of them may even had in mind, they just saw the triumphal entry, and some of them may have been thinking, maybe he could be king, right? I mean, he could run on the platform of feeding people. He could run on the platform of healing people on a, on a command. You know, he could do all that, and he would be accepted. Just look at the entry. And now he's saying, I'm about to leave. So you can imagine the tension in the room. You can imagine the pain in the room. You can imagine the separation anxiety that's about to kick in. You can imagine them just astounded and in pain and in in troubled and burdened by by this moment. So here's Jesus at the Passover table. And he knows what's going through their minds. He knows that they're afraid. He knows that they're hearing things that they're struggling to comprehend and to process. He knows that they have questions and they can't put all the pieces together. He knows that he's looking at a group of people whose faith is shaken. The question plaguing the disciples back then is so often the same one that plagues us even today. What do you do when your faith is shaken? What do you do when you encounter something so heavy? What do you do when worry sets in? That's all that consumes you. What will sustain you when fear is mounting? And life puts you in circumstances and situations you did not anticipate. Maybe you started in one direction and things have just not gone the way you thought it would. What do you do when you find yourself in that position? What do you do when you are having to find yourself having to make sense of a world that is constantly changing, that's changing way beyond your comfort level? Maybe you got news that changed the landscape of the way you process things, the way you process life. How do you overcome worry in such moments? What will sustain you when your faith is shaken? You see, these are questions that these disciples, they're, they're grappling with. And Jesus knows exactly where they are. Jesus knows exactly what they're facing. And so he decides, all right, we're having this meal. Let's, let's have a conversation. So if you're like me and if, if you're facing something like that, my, my response is just to ask questions. My response is you be like, why why would this happen? Why would you say this? Or why would you do that? Why, why, why? There are a lot of why questions. And the disciples, they're no different. As a matter of fact, we're uh, just real quick over this chat, over this uh, few minutes, we'll look at three questions that the disciples had. So the first question we see in in John chapter 13, we'll start with 13 verse 37, and this is what it says. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Seems like a natural question, right? Where are you going? I mean, you've built this, this ministry, you've built everything, what do you think you're doing? Why would you throw it all away? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then in in chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. This is the first promise that Jesus is giving. So as each question is being asked, Jesus responds with a promise. When, when they ask, where are you going? When Peter, Peter, it, it, pretty much you expect this out of him. He's the one who shoots from, you know, he's just right there. He's always got the first question. He's always the impulsive one. And you expect him to ask this. And as soon as he asks, Jesus says, all right, here's, here's my word to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He saying you can take comfort in what I'm about to tell you. You can take this to the bank. This is, this is worth a lot. Hold on to this. He says, when I leave, I leave with a purpose in mind. There's a reason why I'm going. There's a reason why I'm leaving. As a matter of fact, he says, the promise I'm giving to you, the promise is a promise of a place for you. In other words, he's saying, I'm going back to my father's house, and in my father's house are many rooms. There is a room for you. He says, don't be alarmed. I have to go. I'm going to go so that I can prepare a place for you. First of all, there is a place for you. He says, in my father's house are many rooms, and you know you can ask what those rooms look like. Are they mansions? Are they rooms? Are they closets? I don't know what they look like. I wish I had an explanation for you, but... He says, there are many rooms. And to his disciples, he's saying, what you're experiencing right now, that's not it. There is something even bigger. There is something you may think that what you're facing in life right now will consume you. And it very well might be. But it's not the end. You see, the disciples are facing a moment, a challenge, like, unlike any other that they've ever faced before. And here they are, worried that this is going to destroy who they are. This is going to destroy their their relationship with Jesus. And he's saying, no, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm actually going for a purpose. There is more to it than your life right now. There's more to it than your circumstance. There's more to it than the joy you're facing right now. There's more to it than the pain you're experiencing right now. There is an eternity that you have there's an eternity for every person born on this earth and jesus is saying if you believe in me he tells them that he's using he's going to prepare a room for them and this room the noun that he uses is a noun from the greek word meno the noun says room but the verb says to abide He says, basically, I'm going to create a place so that you can abide with me forever. It's going to be an eternity of relationship. It's going to be an eternity of us together. It's going to be an eternity of joy. It's going to be an eternity of whatever pleases you right now. Can you imagine how much greater it'll be on the other side? And he's telling the disciples, look beyond what you're experiencing right now. Look beyond your pain. Look beyond your joys. Look beyond your circumstance because there is an eternity that awaits you. When you drive, and um, Pastor Rick has used this example before, so often when we drive, um, when you, maybe I'll, I can take you back to the first time you started driving, Right? Do you remember that scene, both your hands in the 10 and 2 position, and every, every move that you made, you're looking down at the dashboard, you're looking at the speedometer to see how fast you're going, you're looking at the screens there, you're looking at this, you're looking at that? What changes? Over time, we, get to, we learn to ignore all that, because what really matters is ahead of us, right? One of the first lessons my dad taught me when, when taking care of the lawn, I started you know and you start mowing the lawn and next thing you know there's squiggly lines going all all over the place and after that first mow he said all right let's let's try this when you start from one end of the yard look at a point and just watch that and just go towards it and next thing you know there are straight lines he said keep that point keep that 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 Picture in mind and just go towards it. And this is the exact same thing that Jesus is telling his disciples. Don't be focused on your circumstance right now because that's just going to destroy you. Instead, fix your gaze, fix your, um, your, your face on what is to come. He's saying there is an eternity to come. There's an eternity of abiding with me. There's an eternity that you will, that you will spend. Fix your gaze on that. But you see, when you fix your gaze on that, things start to change here. There's a story about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, he rose to prominence as Britain's prime minister, a great man. A great. I mean, he, was, he rose, he was one of the most powerful men of his time. But he was very influenced by, by scriptures. He was a man of strong faith. As a matter of fact, he, he came to God through the ministry of Billy Graham. And ever since then, he had been a strong, a strong ally for the faith. A man who read the Bible and quoted it in his speeches during the darkest moments of the war to encourage his people. As a matter of fact, this passage that we just read, read right now, John chapter 14, verses one through four, it seemed to have a particular significance to him because he would use that over and over in his career. One, one moment that he actually used that was when President Roosevelt and, and Churchill, they were supposed to meet, they were supposed to meet with Stalin in Cairo. And because of where Cairo was, there, Roosevelt, FVR, was, uh, was concerned that the German Nazis could bomb them. And so he sends a telegram to say, hey, let's change this place. I'm not comfortable. Let's, let's find some other place to, uh, to go. And Churchill sends a message right back with nine words. He says, see St. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. And so FDR sent an aide, find a Bible, and when he turned to the verses, that's what he read. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way, excuse me, you know the way to where I am going. Churchill, in this instance, he decides to reframe reality based on what was ahead, not what was in the moment. You see, his situation was dire. His situation was dark. His situation was bad. But he's able to see things for, in the proper perspective because there's eternity ahead. And so he says, what happens now really doesn't matter. But there's another promise in there that's kind of hidden that, you need, that all of us, we need to hold on to. And that's a promise that Jesus says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, what does he say he will do? He will come back. If I'm going, I will come back. I will come back. Those are words that have rung true in church history for the last 2,000 years. And we, I, I, sometimes I believe that we don't say it enough that the Lord is coming back. He may come back today. He may come back right now. He may come back tonight. He may come back a week from now or a month from now. We just don't know. The Bible describes it as he will come back as a thief in the night. But he will come back. How many of us are living with the reality that Jesus is on his way back and it could be any moment right now? Do we live with eternity in our sight? Do we live with eternity in our minds? Do we live with an eternal focus on our everyday life? Do we base our decisions on what is to come, not what we're, what we're facing right now? Christ will come. He will come like a thief in the night. You see, we have reason to be hopeful in the midst of worry, when fate falls apart, when circumstances give way, because he promises a place for us. And then in, in, uh, he continues in verse chapter 5. Peter's question leads to another question. And Thomas, in verse 4, he says, and you know the way where I'm going. And so Thomas picks up immediately. He says, wait, wait, wait. In verse five, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we even know the way? And this is Jesus' answer in verses six through seven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. I have a quick question, a quick poll. All right. How many of you would consider yourself to be a planner? Wow, very few of you. How many of you would consider yourself to be the exact opposite of a planner? And the rest of you? Somewhere in between, we'll give you grace for right now. Um, So, in the Thomas household, guess which one's who's who? Planner? Yeah, I would say. Okay. So, a couple of years ago, Jen and I, we had the privilege to, we, we took a trip. We took a trip to Paris. And so, given that it was a busy time for, for me at the church, I said, all right, Jen decided she was going to look up things for us to do, things for us to see, things for us to experience. Come home one day to a conversation. She says, go ahead and pull up this website. It's called Visit a City. And I would recommend that to you if you have never. If you're going somewhere, look up Visit a City. It's a great app. They've got the app, they'll tell you everything you need to know. She had planned out from the moment we landed to the moment we took off to the minute, including the times we were sleeping. And that gave us five hours of sleep every day. (laughs) So, Jen's the planner. And me, on the other hand, will have a plan for the day. We'll walk down the street and go, wait, wait, wait. Can we explore this for a moment? Or can we do that for a day, right? And, and I'm, gen plans, I bust, a, all, bust all of them up. That's just who I am. This, I just go, I live without plans, right? My, a lot of my family, I have uncles and aunts. They plan, I, one of my uncles knows what he's doing three years from now on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. I mean, they're planners, We all need plans, right? Whether you're coaching a team, whether you are baking whatever, you're, you're doing whatever. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's your career goals. We need to have a plan. And here's exactly what the disciples are saying. Jesus, you're saying, all right, so we, we get this, that you're going, you're leaving us, you're, you're moving, on, moving on, you have an assignment, and you're going to the Father's house to prepare a place. But wait, how do we get there? What is the plan? What, what do we do? What's next? What's our next step? And Thomas is saying, and God bless Thomas, because again, he's, he's the guy who would ask the question that no one's really, everyone else is not bold enough to ask. Everyone's thinking it, but, but Thomas jumps ahead and he says, how do we get there? You see, in their worry, they're, asking. they're still looking for answers. They're looking for some sort of a plan. In the midst of it, he asks us, how can we know the way? You say you're going to the Father's house, but how do we even get there, Jesus? What Thomas is forgetting, and Jesus reminds them, is this. You know Jesus. You know Jesus. And this is what he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's been taken care of. I am the way. You don't have to worry because he provides a plan. He is the plan. So often in our quest for meaning, what we end up doing is we look for meaning in places that we often should not. We look for meaning. We look for solutions. We look for plans in places. We look for plans within our own self. We look for meaning within our own self. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's it's family. Whatever it is, we look within ourselves. We look within our circumstances. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I am the way. You see, many people reach a point in their lives when they discover nothing in this world will satisfy their deepest longings. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're still figuring it out. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not responding to Thomas simply by saying, okay, I'm giving you directions. This is exactly, you take a left there at the the McDonald's, you take a right. No, that's not what he's saying. He's instead saying, this is the answer to all of humanity. He's giving himself. He's saying, his sufficiency alone can fill your emptiness. His sufficiency alone can usher in the transforming power of Christ. He's saying, whatever you need for your life, whatever transformation you need for your life, I am the way. As a matter of fact, many of you are trying to make your way to God. And you've tried it all your life. You've tried being a good person. You've tried doing good for others. You've tried following every letter of the law. Here's the answer to it all. It's not going to work. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. There's only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus. There is only one way to the life, to life, to truth, and that is Jesus. And for some of us today, we have to let that truth sink in. Because I don't know where where your journey is taking you, but I know that there are some of us in this room that are still trying to make it happen, that are still trying, that are still working, that are still walking around with that burden on our back. Can I tell you something? I'd like to take that burden off and say, you know what, as much as you try, you're destined to fail. That path is not a path of success because for all of time, we've been, trying to break, we've been trying to bridge that void. We've been trying to do it on our own, trying to get back to God and the only one, the only way is Jesus himself. That's the reason why he came to this earth is because he would be the bridge between us and God. He would bring peace between us and God. And so if you've been trying, let me release you of that burden. You're destined to fail. Turn your trust onto Jesus. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do you want to hear a little secret of how not to worry? Just let him lead. Let him be your path. Let him be your plan. Let him be your way. The third question, and so this this leads to another question, and this one we find in John chapter 14 in verses 8. And this is Philip, and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. He promises them a purpose, but it's not enough for them. And this prompts Philip to ask Jesus to show them to the Father. You see, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Philip is saying, show us the Father. And Jesus is saying, do you not get it? Do you not understand, Philip? Because I am here with you. And if I am with you, the Father is in me. You've already encountered the Father. And Jesus is playing with words here and there's a little bit of a jumble and it's hard for us to keep up. This is what he's saying. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I am with the Father and the Father is with me. So the words that I'm saying, the words that I'm speaking to you right now are not my own. They're my father's words. They are God's words. They're from the Almighty himself. And those things that I'm doing right now in the midst of you, all the people that I've healed, all the people, the demons that I've cast out, the things that I've done, the things that I'm about to do, those are not my works. Those are the father's works. And he says, and here's the mandate for us. He continues, all that I've been saying, all that I've been doing, I'm leaving soon. And if you believe in me, if you believe in me, you will do even greater works than me. He's saying that is the power that I'm giving to you. I may be leaving right now, but you are going to be endowed with power. This is the the father who works through me. He wants to work through you. And as a child of God, the song that we sang, I am a child of God. If you believe in him, you are a child of God and greater works than Jesus himself, he says, you can do. There's a relationship here. He says, as long as you are in God and God is in you, there is no limit to what he can do through you. There is no limit in what he can accomplish in you, in your family, in your circumstance. He's looking for a heart that's surrendered for a heart that's given to him, for a heart that would be willing to do what he's called you to do. Let me ask you, what is your purpose in life? Many of us for years and years, we struggle with that. We struggle with what has God called me to do? Here's what it is. You call in his kingdom in his economy, is simply this. Love him and do what he's called you to do. Do what he's commanded. Love him, do what he's commanded. It's simply to do what the word calls you to do. It's simply to do, not, he's, in God's economy, there is no meaningless life. In God's economy, there is no purposeless life. If you are a child of God, he has a plan, he has a purpose, he has an intent for your life. And he's saying, surrender yourself so that you may find it. Surrender yourself so that you may be used by him. Surrender yourself so that God may work the work that he has planned for you, in you, and through you. There is an impact that you have to make in your community. There's an impact that God wants to make through you in your, in your family. There's an impact at your job, at your community, wherever it is within your circles. There is an impact. There is a call on your life. No one is exempt. And if you are in that position today trying to figure out what it is that you need to get done, start here. Jesus says, if anyone believes in me, He will do greater things than I. But how is this accomplished? So easy to say that this will happen, but often the how is the tricky part. Most, if not all of us, have at some point tried to live it out on our our own strength. And like I said a few moments ago, it is not going to work. That's a burden you have to put down because it's not going to work. So he says two things that he's going to do through them, and then we'll, we'll conclude in a few minutes. Jesus says in, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's saying, in prayer, I can do it all. Whatever you ask in prayer, I can do it. I can do it. He say, "I choose to work through you. I choose to work in you. I choose to give you the desires of your heart. I can do it. But there's also a clause here, because if it were up to me, I'd be praying for things I probably shouldn't. It'd be like the three, three wishes from the genie, right? three wishes, give me this, give me power, give me riches, and give me unlimited wishes, right? But so often we think that's what we need. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, for what reason? For what reason? That the Father may be glorified. You see, what he wants to do to you, in you, and through you, is so that ultimately God gets the glory. Your lives have purpose, and that purpose is to bring Him glory. Your lives have purpose, and that is to bring others to recognize His glory. God has something to do through you so that He may be glorified. The Father wants to work through you so that His name may be lifted up in this land, so that people may come to the recognition of who He is, how powerful He is, how uh, amazing and and incredible He is. That's the purpose of your life. You see, we can overcome worry because God promises Provision through the power of prayer. Just this morning, we talked about prayer, how powerful it is, even in our own healing, in little Jalen's life or in Michelle's life. And many of you sitting here, you've experienced the power of prayer. There have been situations that had seemed impossible, but yet when you bowed your knees to God, what did He do? He came through. When our knees hit the floor, There is a power there. There is such incredible work that happens in that moment. He says, Ask me. So often we do not receive, Jesus says, because we simply don't ask. Ask and see what God can do. And then he continues and he says, Jesus tells them, Don't worry, I'm leaving you, but you're not alone. Actually, in in chapter fourteen, verses fifteen through seventeen, this is what he says: If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and and will be in you. Jesus is leaving. But he tells his disciples, you're not alone. You will not be alone. Because when I leave, I'm asking my father to send another one in my place. I'm asking him to send my spirit in my place. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, Spirit of all truth, he will come. He will come, and he will be your comfort. In moments when you feel like you're all alone, in moments when you feel like fate is no longer standing, when you feel like your circumstances are beyond repair, when you feel like the ground has given way, he says the Holy Spirit will be your comforter. He will come, he will help, he will restore, he will keep you. You see, God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you, talk with you, live with you. He wants to do life with you. He doesn't just want to save you and say, I'll see you on the other side. Instead, he wants a living relationship with you. And that relationship is not possible on our effort alone. It's not possible on our work alone. He says, I will give you my spirit. And so through that, we will have a living relationship. I will give you my spirit. The only way we can do life, the only way we can do life as Christ calls us to do life, is by his spirit. He says, I will give you my spirit. And so today, my question is have you received that promise? Have you received the promise of the spirit? have you received have you taken on the challenge to pray have you taken on the challenge as jesus said ask me anything and i will do it for my father's glory he says we have no reason to worry because of this because he provides through the power of prayer and the presence of the holy spirit you see, that same Holy Spirit Jesus promised to the disciples is the one that He taught, He points at us and He says, I've promised you the same, same person. I've promised you the same Holy Spirit. I've promised you the same power that I give to my disciples. You see, the Holy Spirit, He's our advocate, He's our ally, He's our comforter, He is our guide. You see, the, whole, uh, the Word of God tells us that when we are weak, He makes us strong. When we are, in re- we are rejected, He takes us in. When we are hurt by false accusation, He advocates for us. When we are hurt in disappointment, He comforts us. When we are in failure, He lifts us up. When we are in, the, in deep trauma, He, wounds, he f- fixes those wounds. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Today, where are you? What is the circumstance you're experiencing? what sort of pain have you experienced in life let the lord work because he says i give you my com- i give you my spirit he's your comforter if you're going to accomplish anything in life it is only through the holy spirit i'm going to call the worship team back at this point dear friends this is this is what i have to say we need god We can't do this life on our own. We can't do this on our own power. You may have tried and you may have recognized by now that it is not going anywhere. You need the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus promises that we're never alone because he promises us his presence through the Holy Spirit. He promises, Jesus gives three of them. Actually, there are many more if you dissect this passage. But he says, I may be going, but I leave you with my word. And my word is powerful. It's not my word, it's God's word. God's word to you is this, that I go to prepare a place for you. God's word to you is this, that I have a plan and a purpose for you. And the way that works is through me. God's promise is this, that I give you. I'll give you whatever you need, whatever you want for the glory of the Father in prayer. And finally he says, my presence I leave with you. My Holy Spirit I leave with you. You see the psalmist says, your promises renew my life. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it And he will accomplish it. If he says it, will he not fulfill it? You see, Paul is reminding the Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. The promises that God has given you are yes and amen. This morning, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to when everything else gives way? He's saying, I leave you with a promise. Let his word be your guide. You see, Jesus' timing in this moment was impeccable. These same disciples who are in this moment, they're probably going to, they're facing probably one of the biggest challenges that they've ever faced. They have no idea what's going to happen in the next 18 hours. And at that, at that dinner, they're all sitting together. They're taking, care, taking a, a, the meal together. But they have no idea that Jesus is going to be given up. That Jesus is going to be arrested. That Jesus is going to be crucified. The hope that they have placed in this man is going to be taken away. That everything that they had held on to would, be, would fall apart. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that every one of them ran off. They ran off to do their own thing. They went fishing. But you see, those promises did sustain them. Every one of those disciples would come back and they would be devoted to the end. Every one of those disciples would give their life to the Lord. Would give their life up as martyrs. What causes a man to go to his death for a principle? Other than Christ himself. Every one of these people needed a word, needed a promise to hold on to. No matter what you're facing today, this is what God has to say. I have given you my word and that's enough. I've given you my word that you will never be alone. I've given you my word that you, whatever you ask in my name, you will get for the glory of God. I've given you my presence. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So this even, this morning, this is simple. This is all we're going to ask. We're going to pray. We're going to take a moment just to be encouraged, just to say, God, I don't know what, I don't know what your circumstance is, but lay it out in front of him. You see, the disciples, they had no qualms about saying, God, we don't know how this is going to happen. We don't have a plan here. We don't know how any of this is going to work out. But Jesus says, this is my word to you. Let's take that same posture this morning the altars are open. If you want to come, if you want to cry out to Him, if you want to say, God, I don't know how any of my life is going to pan out. I don't know how any of this is going to work out. I don't know how my career is going to go. I don't know how my, my family is going to straighten out. I don't know how these re- relationships are going to be restored. I don't know how addictions are going to be broken. I don't know how healing is going to come. I don't know how any of it is going to happen. But this I know that You promised, that You said You that Your promises are — Yes and amen. That is what I'm going to hold on to. And Lord, I can't do this on my own. Let's just proclaim that to him. Let's just open our hearts, open our mouths and tell him, Lord, I may have tried it all on my own but I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your Spirit to come, to walk alongside me, to be in me, to work in, in me and through me. And that's when we're going to surrender. And so take a moment, maybe where you are, if you'd like to come, the altars are open. We'll have people up here to pray with you. So would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we're thankful. Lord, no matter what life throws at us, we know this. That your love, your steadfast love endures forever. That your mercy never ceases. That your grace always always surrounds us and lord i pray for us this morning this morning i pray for the those of us who have tried and who have done our best and yet we've got nowhere those of us who may be in a moment where we are defeated for those those of us who may be in a moment where we feel like everything's given way Lord, I pray that you would give us your spirit. You must fill us. You would fill us with your comfort. You would fill us with the power to see beyond our circumstances, to see beyond the momentary, to see beyond the now, to see the eternity ahead, to see the place that you have prepared for us because you are powerful, you are almighty, and what you have said you will do in our lives. Father, we hold on to that promise because your word says your promises are a yes and amen. And for that, we're thankful. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.